Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome, friends, back to another uh, session with Darren and Tim, my friend Darren Ride, Tim Beadle. Uh, we're here focusing on disciple making, what it means to make disciples and make disciples. And for the last several, several uh, podcasts, we've been digging into digesting and discussing uh, Damien Girk's book, In the Way, in terms of how the church we know it, a legacy church, could actually become the disciple-making movement that God designed it to become. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how the church engages with people. And now we're going to change, uh, turn the page and uh, look more at how people engage with the church. And Darren, Darren's going to start off uh, this new section. And I think it's going to be uh, you know, quite, quite profitable because... Uh, you know, there's all kinds of people coming to the church, but how do they engage with us, Darren? <laughs> yeah, this is this is quite the topic here. It's, you know, engagement contrast. We got five of them in this chapter. And the first one, I mean, I know I've said this about a lot of these contrasts, but this is a core contrast. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it really does spring from the structure of the church. And it, it leads to this. And, and this contrast has to do with participation, how people participate in the life of the church. And the contrast is this. And there's really no soft way of putting it. The contrast is in Legacy Church, passive attendance yeah. is the primary. And in disciple-making movements, what we see is active obedience. Yeah. And those sound like two very different different things. They're, they're, they're very, they're vast gap between the two, Tim. Exactly. You know, uh, when we talk about the concept of adoption, uh, you know, physical adoption in families, you know, there, there are two choices. Parents want to adopt the child, but the child wants to choose those parents to be their own as well. And in the church, when it comes to participation, there might be different expectations of what uh, people in the church, the church has of those who are coming towards the church, and also uh, what it means for people who start wanting to identify or attend the church uh, what their expectations might be as well. And if there isn't a clear vision uh, put before people, it appears, based on history, that uh, people are really, um, well, they're not really expected to rise above just being in passive attendance in terms of what's going on. Mm. Yeah, you know, the, the, the contrast really gets down to what we believe the point of church is. You know, like if we, if we can agree that the purpose of the church is, among other things, really making disciples, glorifying God by making disciples. Well, then we can evaluate what we're doing, whether, you know, whether it's bringing that outcome or not. But what we found, Tim, it was really highlighted through COVID time that a lot of people seem to think almost like the purpose of the church was to have church services. Yeah, that's right. That, that, the, that the function, the form or the function were one and the same thing, that the service was an end as opposed to a means. Yeah. And this really... Again, it became pretty clear that's what a lot of people think, and that's definitely not the case. No. Uh, obviously, in COVID, the social interaction, the feeling of community, the feeling of family was fractured. And, and that's always going to be a, an important part of being part of a body. You're part of something. However, if uh, just hanging around to be part of something that makes you feel comfortable or 
to be known on a social level, uh, that falls so far short than when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, so this is the dilemma that's before us. Do, do you want to unpack passive attendance uh, and participation a little bit more, Darren? Sure. Yeah, again, uh, this is based on the assumption I know different churches weight their programs and, and everything else differently. And some churches are built on small groups and everything else. But in most churches, the primary uh, form of engagement for most people, what's seen as the primary thing in the church is the gathering, the weekend gathering typically. Yeah. And, and when you go to that weekend gathering, it is very much a one-to-many or a few-to-many. And yeah. the way our, quote, sanctuaries or auditoriums are formed, theater style, everybody's looking at the platform, uh, it's really lends itself to a passive kind of engagement where yeah, we may be singing, we may even, you know, if we get fired up, shout amen or something, but it's really one to many and we're passive observers for the most part. You know, we can take notes. There might be a chance in the service to pray and reflect. There might be a chance even to talk to our neighbor, but for the most part, the engagement is passive. It's, it's kind of like watching TV, except it's, it's in a live setting, but it's really that observer uh, viewer is really the yeah. model that's being happening there. I had a friend, Cam Harder, who used to say church today is a little more than Christian theater. Even the way the chairs are set up with the stage, uh, with the worship bands, where really you come in, bring your drink in hands, perhaps, the lights are dimmed, and the program begins. And I, and, and I know Damien in his book talks a lot about all the planning, and I know from our church as well, weeks and weeks in advance, uh, the worship is planned by a design team, perhaps. There's, it's scripted. Uh, there, there's time elements in it, uh, totally different from life in a rural church, from my experience. Mm. Uh, but the whole point is, is that the experience of the church attender is passive in that someone else, when it's one to many, is actually doing a lot of the studying and thinking and, mm. and searching and revealing. And there's little opportunity for those actually in the congregation or audience, as it were, to personally discover, we, we listen to a message 30 to 40 uh, minutes and uh, sociologists would say, unless you go and apply it, you only remember like 4% within a couple of days. Mm. So, so it's more the experience of being together than actually active participation in it. Well, well, yeah. And, and what, uh, you know, the danger that is flagged here in this chapter is that are we communicating by that style that, that the attendees can't hear from God yeah. Learn from God directly. They can't, you know, respond to him. And and here's 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 a line that I think really boils it down. If we always do people studying, thinking, praying, searching, wrestling with God, or defining how to apply the Bible for them, how will they do it for themselves? Exactly. And why would they? And so in a way we displace personal responsibility by catering to and even creating a passive event. Yeah. Yeah. So so really th th this is somewhat a reflection on uh, church leadership, uh, church structure, church tradition. And it also it plays things safe because when you're in charge of what's going to happen in worship, uh, people can come and take in the uh, hour, hour and a half together. And if everything goes well, you're finished at a certain time and uh, people will feel that they've got enough bang for their buck, as it were, that they'll leave happy and come back the next week. But this this falls so far short from the imperative of Jesus to to. Uh, you know, obey the things that he's commanded and actively participate as well. 
Mm. You know, I think before, and so we're really highlighting the problem here before we move to the solution of the contrast, but maybe I just want to pull back for a second, Tim, and say, what can a large gathering like that do well that is commendable? Like what, what, at its best, what can be accomplished in those kinds of settings? Yeah. Well, you know, there is, uh, in terms of just a gathering of a lot of people, uh, you know, worship in a, in a large gathering uh, can be quite inspirational, uh, especially if you're not a good singer and you let others to sing around. <laughs> you feel you're you're part of something bigger than you are yourself, mm. uh, and and of course, you know, praise and worship is worshiping Holy God and giving Majesty to the Lord Jesus, and so so you are you are sort of brought, as it were, to uh, the throne room of God, but uh, in terms of that anticipation. Uh, you still can really be in the posture of being a spectator, not so much a participant. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what were you thinking in that regard? Yeah, well, I think I think what you said about inspiration, I say, you know, the whole celebration, inspiration. Uh, you know, I, I love when there's baptisms, for instance, in a large mm-hmm. gathering. It encourages, there, there's a way of many people being encouraged all at once, yeah. you know, versus versus just hearing about it. I think it's also a good time for unifying vision to be communicated that, you know, as you know, even if we're in diverse groups or individually in different workplaces and schools, that's a time to remind each other that they're, you know, we're not alone in this. There's others, you know, striving to, to live for the Lord. And of course, when it comes to raw teaching, you know, communication of content, um, there's probably no more efficient way and a good teacher can be a very effective way as well. So there are some things that can happen in that context. Um, but the risk is that it becomes very passive and becomes the sum total of a person's quote devotional life or spiritual development life. Yeah, yeah. And basically, there, there's little, if any, accountability in a large gathering like that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, success in the church is if people come back for the next church service, not not what is like being accomplished in their life in terms of obedience to what God shared, what was uh, God through His Spirit spoken to our lives the week before. Uh, maybe some of that might be picked up in a in a midweek small group, but but overall, uh, the the whole church experience is designed basically to be one of uh, passivity for those who attend. Yeah, yeah, and we we definitely are, are called to something more than passivity. You know, I will say before we move to the the solution side or the contrast side, you know, our ministry, Twelve Church, which is based on groups or right now group yeah. you know the intent is if we have multiple groups in an area that we would meet from time to time and what would look like a worship service yeah. yeah but that would not be the primary thing no the pri- the primary thing is the group and and the the outflow from the group so if we move to the contrast tim uh in a legacy church's passive attendance in in a disciple making movement what we see is something called active obedience yeah. what's what's your understanding of what that means well, the word obedience comes many, many times in, in Scripture where Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And, and even in the Great Commission, you know, if you go into all the world to meet disciples, commanding people to obey that which they have been taught. Uh, so obedience uh, really causes people to realize that there is a response required. Uh, and it's an active response. I, I know when you look in the Bible, if you think of the heroes of the faith, uh, when God spoke to them, there, there was no real lag time in terms of hearing God. They didn't sit around for months and say, well, this is what God's saying. They, they seem to act on it obediently. They meant like immediate and total and often radical 
and even mm. illogical. <laughs> Sometimes it might be the threat of loss of life, but because they heard from God, immediately they obeyed. And mm -hmm. this feels like a uh, like the other end of the pendulum, which was those who just sort of sit and take in a church service, to those who have been confronted by the living God, they hear from him, and immediately uh, they obey, uh, even though they don't know the outcome of what it's going to mean, but they have full trust in the God who is calling them, uh, revealing himself, And this is why it's called active uh, obedience. Yeah. You know, I, I've often said that it's almost like in a, in a passive setting, in a, in a regular, quote, worship service setting, that we're, we're training people not to apply. Yeah. Because there's no, sometimes there's little application given. Uh, sometimes it's very general. And, you know, there's certainly no, no accountability there. And I, yeah. you know, I contrast that with what we try to do in our groups where we have a study, a, a discovery Bible study, you know, interacting with the word and we land on what will I do as a result of this? And at, at its best, then we follow, follow up the next week. But I've seen Tim for myself and the group as a whole, there's a tension around that, sure there is. that, that, that we're just not used to being held to account yeah. <laughs> a to come up with an application and B to actually follow through on it. But yeah. you know, if, if part of making disciples is teaching to obey what Jesus has said, boy, this is a, essential part of it it's it's got to happen yeah when we look at the bible and jesus example and his interaction with the disciples you know after he was resurrected in john 21 you know the disciples went back to fish they caught nothing jesus said you know put put the nets on the other side overwhelming catch <clears throat> and then uh peter uh has some time alone with jesus and what does he say what does jesus say to peter do you, uh, peter do you really love me Do you really love me? Do you three times? Uh, he was holding them accountable to all the things that he had been taught. And now he was pressing Peter to the point of active obedience. Uh, and, and because of that, uh, Peter had to make a confession of where he was in hmm. his relationship and his commitment to follow uh, in the way of Jesus. And uh, I think when we look at the uh, example of Jesus, He did hold his disciples accountable to the teaching and the training that he gave them as well. Well, yeah. And again, he had teaching and training. They're, they're always combined. Yeah. And he called, you know, he sent them out two by two, called them, called them to obey. And, you know, obedience by definition goes beyond knowledge. Yeah. You know, obedience calls for action. And we don't know whether we're being obedient or not unless we're acting. In fact, we're not acting in response to scripture there's a good chance that we're actually not obeying. Yeah. Because obedience is about an active following, an active response. It's about following Jesus on mission, whatever that means today in the time and place I find myself. Yeah, and that's quite ask, different than just taking in information. Yeah. If I was to ask our listeners today, what is the opposite of obedience? Uh, 99.9% of the general public would say disobedience, but mm. actually uh, disobedience is a symptom of a deeper cause. And that is, one of self-will. We do not obey Jesus when we want to just continue to obey our own will, what we think is best for us. Mm. And because of that, then we disobey. Uh, but uh, we have to, I think this, this hits the core of, of the discussion today, that when Jesus calls us to obey, that exposes the, the, the level to which our will has been submitted to him in which we're denying ourselves and actually following him. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, There's a difference between, you know, 
Jesus calls me to obey in a specific issue and I wrestle with that and do it or not. He calls me to obey in a specific issue, I do it or not. That's, you know, micro level obedience. There's still obviously self-will. What Jesus calls us to is that we've signed it off. We've signed over so that when we know what he's calling us to, back to that phrase you said, IRCO, I-R-C-O, immediate, radical, you know, complete obedience, uh, that we've signed off on that. And, you know, if we're not there, if we're not at Romans 12, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, we are in some way less than fully obedient. And that's really the call to obedience is a call to offering ourselves completely to him, not just following a checklist of do's and don'ts. Yeah, you know, the status quo in church experience is that, you know, we sing the songs and and, and pray the prayers and we love Jesus, or so we say. But, you know, uh, Jesus is quite confrontational. And he says, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? And uh, in Romans, so we've spoken about this uh, in recent podcasts about just, uh, it's an offering of ourselves. This is what surrender is. It's not giving up. It's It's trading up. To, to what God would have us be in. And this whole concept of being a living sacrifice, I had surgery a few weeks ago, and they would not touch my body unless I signed a release form, allowing them to uh, fulfill the procedure, which I'm thankful that they did. But they all the technology, all the medical expertise was in the room. But until I signed the release, really hmm. turned my will over to their control, uh, they didn't. They didn't do anything, and it's the same. It's a wonderful example that's challenged me over the years, in a spiritual sense. When when God speaks to us in His Word, the, the understanding is by His Spirit is, is that we will obey. Sometimes we struggle, and that's fine because we're feeling the weight and cost of what it means to follow Jesus. But in the end, either we're going to obey Him, or our self will will win over, and we will fail to grow and follow any longer in our relationship. We'll sort of get stuck uh, in a spot and and we won't progress until we've really released that and surrendered that to the Lord. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's really, you know, it really is a call to Lord, the Lordship issue, isn't it? That again, it's not about individual obediences and, you know, to kind of begin, begin to land on that, Tim, yeah. uh, quoted in you know, very stark terms here towards the end of the chapter comes down to two possibilities. Yep. The church believes its mission is best accomplished by its members being passive participants, or the church believes its mission is best accomplished by its members being active participants. <laughs> and, and, and this really implicates our standard model of church. And I guess, you know, I agree with the statement that that's the choice. What could we do? What can someone do who's in a legacy church, a standard church right now, um, who wants to move people to active participation. How do we best do that within that model? It's a million-dollar question. That's right. Uh, I, I believe uh, it has to start small and personal with a small group of people uh, that have influence on others. Mm-hmm. Uh, making a general announcement from, from the platform on Sunday is that, hey, listen up. We need to pull up our bootstraps and start obeying. Yeah, that, 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 That's not going to fly or go very far. However, I think uh, by an example, a living example of godly leaders Hmm. who might have to confess and say, you know, we've been so busy running the church that we failed to actually live a life that honors God by obeying on the daily practical uh, way that he speaks to us through his word, through his spirit. Hmm. I don't know of any other way, unless you're going to maybe start a 
a new church movement, and, and, and you just start with a new understanding. Uh, my, my challenge is, is that people who come into the faith, and even after they're baptized, you know, being on mission with Jesus, um, it seems that before long, uh, just being part of a passive obedience, participatory experience is all that the church requires to be uh, a member in good standing, as it were. Mm. Yeah, we, we I guess we need to change expectations on that and have, you know, this is what we expect it means to follow Jesus, but we need to model it for sure. Like the, those new believers need to see someone who's doing it that way. And I, I think it's really hard for me to get away from the idea that there's got to be some kind of subgroups, some subcongregations, some smaller groups, or at least some, you know, some more intimate discipleship disciple-making level relationships, right? Where where people are meeting in smaller groups where there can be that accountability, that sharing of life, uh, that knowing and being known. Um, I, I don't see any other way, Tim. Yeah, I think, uh, while well, the church sort of puts a little line in the sand and we try to get people to cross that line, uh, the line of salvation, the line of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, so much of our efforts are to bring people across that line. But then beyond that, there doesn't seem to be a lot of strategy or lifestyle examples of those who can take these new followers of Jesus and lead them on to maturity. And I think in terms of disciple making, this is the crux of the matter. And on our church, you know, people go to Alpha and I say, okay, so what happens to people when they finish Alpha if they're still spiritually curious uh, well, maybe they'll get maybe they'll get in a small group, and uh, you know there's no intentionality. So, so this is a challenge to church leaders to look again to start small, uh, to make sure that you aren't asking people to travel the road that you haven't yet traveled yourself, which can be humbling, and it takes time, and sometimes you have to slow down to get ahead in terms of God's uh, economy and pace. And uh, but I, I see no other way either. Uh, Darren, in terms of uh, changing this from a passive participation to more active obedience uh, yeah. in the Lord. Yeah, I think everyone would agree, Tim, that if you if you lay down the two options, we want active versus passive, you know, passive participation, everyone will say active. And so for leaders, that's the challenge to figure out how to move people to more active Christian living. And for individuals, the challenge is very personal to evaluate ourselves, say, how passive am I? And where is the Lord calling me to be an active participant in his mission? And that's really what it means to be a disciple. That's the core of what it means to be a disciple. Yeah, and that's probably a good place to land. So so we would uh, challenge you uh, to look introspectively in your own heart, your own uh, faith experience. At what time did you feel comfortable just to stop growing? Uh, or are there any uh, people that uh, you are to be an example to in their spiritual growth? Or who do you look forward to? As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, th there should be a series of um, exchanges in terms of relationships between those who are growing, those who need to mentor and need to disciple them as well. So, hmm. so I think we'll land the plane there, Darren. That um, sounds excellent. Thanks, yeah. folks, for listening. Look forward to having you join us again. We're we're trying to be disciples and make disciples and encouraging you to do the same. God bless. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.